chapter 19, verses 18 through 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that had, they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Thank you very much, Becca. This is the Word of God. Josh had read our other portion of Scripture today from Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Lift up, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. There are two major holidays when it comes to church. Of course, Christmas and Easter. In fact, there's even a term called C&E Christians, people who don't go to church except for Christmas and Easter. But Christmas has much better PR than Easter. Christmas has um, caroling, wassailing, whatever that might be, um, sleigh bells, jingle bell rock, Christmas, uh, when it comes to Christmas, our biggest fear, really, and, and, and when it comes to church, is that people will be so overcome with the pageantry of the Christmas time, they will miss Jesus, the Christ of Christmas. Amen. So we say, keep, keep Christ in Christmas. When it comes to Easter, on the other hand, the fear is different. The fear is that people will just completely miss it, period. And Easter has much worse PR than Christmas because here are some of the Easter, um, here's some of the Easter customs that many of us engage in, dying Easter eggs. We're like, you know, they're not toxic enough. We have to put dye on them. Um, we have an Easter bunny. I was going to look at like where all these customs came from, but I was like, that's not worth my time. <laughs> Easter, why do we have a bunny for Easter? It's like, oh, you know, why, why, why not? Um, and then it kind of sounds like somebody who was like, you know, hadn't slept for like 10 days. Like, what should we do for Easter, Madge? Let's, let's have a bunny. Let's have some Easter eggs. Hollow chocolate bunnies. Now, I, I can get behind that one. Um, <laughs> Easter baskets. Chocolate. Hot, hot cross buns. Now, I don't even know what that is, but that sounds delicious. So if anybody makes those, I'm game. Um, 
Easter fashion parades. Okay, I literally do not know what that is. I'm familiar with Easter parade, but are they like, is it like a runway thing? I like this one. Um, sunrise services. I like this one because it's not what we're going to do. People are like, because I'm wondering who came up with sunrise services. Like, church isn't early enough. We gotta have it at like six o'clock in the morning. Uh, now I wouldn't mind that personally because I'm up really early on Sunday mornings. But it's like, where does that come from? And then we have Easter ham as well. Another one I love. It's hard to compare though with Santa Claus actually getting gifts, um, going sledding, and things like that. In Iowa, we don't know if it's going to be winter or spring for Easter, so we try to prepare for both. Last year. Um, we had a, we were, we were doing Easter, and I wasn't looking at the weather because, you know, it's April. Why would I be thinking of a blizzard? And um, we're in service, and, and I look outside, and it's just this, it's like the worst blizzard of the season. And I know the uh, the Biddles were here. I'm like, sorry, guys, I wish I would have noticed. I probably would have told you not to come in. And Josh told me he had to actually look out his window to see the, to see the lines. <laughs> So when it comes to Easter, we're not so much worried of somebody getting lost really in the pageantry as remembering it at all. To remember that the most significant event is what we celebrate. The most significant event in all of the cosmos and all of history is what we celebrate during this time. The life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Easter during this time typically is typically symbolic of the new life that is springing forth. In fact, I've said before, I really think Easter should be New Year as opposed to um, as opposed to January when there's still snow on the ground. We forget we forget during this time often of the one who is live from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. In the scripture we just read, those in Jerusalem were preparing for their most significant holiday, the Passover. They celebrate this year after year after year. It was supposed to be normal. It was supposed to be um, it was supposed to be ordinary. Then all of a sudden, they have a surprise: the triumphal entry. <laughs> what we celebrate during the triumphal entry, they are gearing up for Passover. It's the first day of Passover. People are into this. They are gathering into the city. They are buying the things they are going to need to sacrifice. And all of a sudden, the lamb, God's lamb, is at the gate. And they are overcome with praise. Jesus says, if they did not cry out, the rocks would cry out. If there's one thing I think about the triumphal entry, it's being surprised by joy. C.S. Lewis has a book titled Surprised by Joy. It is a story of coming to faith in Christ Jesus from atheism. C.S. Lewis grew up an atheist, lived as an atheist, and then one day, Christ found him. One of his more popular quotes from this book is this. In describing joy, he says, That of an unsatisfied desire, which, it, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction, I call it joy. His definition of joy is the joy of knowing Jesus Christ. We don't have it fully here. We get a taste of it. One day we'll see him as he fully sees us. That's joy. That unfulfilled desire is more desirable, it's more real than all other satisfied desires this world has to offer. He he chalks up his experience with Jesus with being surprised, not by a miracle worker or by dogma, but by the person of Jesus Christ and the tangible joy that comes with knowing him. Here's another quote of his from the same book. If you want to know how I felt... Imagine your own feeling on waking up one morning to find that income tax or unrequited love had somehow vanished from the world. 
That'd be a great morning. <laughs> it reminds me of my own story with Christ. You know, I was a, I was a teenager, probably why my heart is for, for teenagers quite sick. Um, I was in junior high, and I was uh, I was wanting to do something religious. My sister had been going to youth group for a while, so I was going with her. And um, I grew up in a tradition where you learn where you learn prayers, and one of the prayers was uh, the Lord's Prayer: Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. And the Holy Spirit stops me. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to my spirit. It's going to happen if you die right now, Jason. And I try to give every excuse in the book of why. I, nobody knows. Well, the Holy Spirit knows, right? He's the one asking. He knows I know. And I say, well, I haven't done anything all that bad, God. I haven't done anything all that bad. I haven't killed anybody. And God says, bring to my mind every rotten thing I did that I didn't think was so bad. But I got to experience it from the other person's perspective. There were certain things I could remember even with such clarity today. I remember bullying a kid. I grew up being bullied. I knew how bad, how terrible it was. And I remember bullying a kid because I wanted other people to like me. And I remember feeling that from his point of view. I remember at the time telling God, if you didn't send me to hell, you'd be a bad God. And to know his grace and mercy in that moment, I I fell asleep in prayer and praise to God. I woke up the next morning and I swear it was like I never saw color before. That was my life in Christ. I was surprised by joy. It's so great to, to read that. I mean, C.S. Lewis, I think, points it so wonderfully. If you want to know how I felt, imagine your own feeling of waking up one morning to find that income tax or unrequited love had somehow vanished from the world. In Jerusalem that day, they'd be surprised by joy. Going about your day only to be overwhelmed by joy that is unspeakable. I've had, very, I've had several experiences like this. I pray that you have as well. Where you're going about your day and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just interrupts it. So one time that I remember that was probably the most powerful time I've had of that, I was actually on a run. Those of you who know me, I, I, go on a, I go on runs throughout the week, several times a week. And so it was just a midweek run. It wasn't special of any sort. And I'm on this run and I've got my headphones in because, you know, why run in God's glorious nature when you can get everything out? But anyway, that's, that's what I do. And, uh, and this song from uh, Delirious starts playing on my, on my headphones. And those of you who are younger than me, you probably don't know who Delirious was, but there was a time in Christian music where there wasn't just like five or six bands, but there was like a whole plethora of uh, Christian rock bands. And one of them was named Delirious. And they were so cool that S was a number five. Um, anyway, um, the song starts playing. It says, Did you hear the mountains tremble? And in the song, there is a section of it that is from Psalm 24. And it goes, Open up the doors. And I remembered in that moment, it's kind of a funny story because it was like a song that reminded me of the scripture. And I knew the scripture, so I could quote it to myself. That's why it's important to know the scripture. God brings it out of us. Even ones that we don't even think we remember, all of a sudden it starts bubbling forward. And I remember Psalm 24. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those that who dwell within. For he has founded it upon the waters and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and does not lift up his soul to what is false. 
and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. I thought I was having a panic attack or a heart attack. I started hyperventilating. I had to stop what I was doing. I was so overcome with joy that I was weeping over my city and praying, lift up, you ancient doors. Lift up, you gates, that the King of glory might come in. I was so overcome with joy. It was incredible. It was palpable. It's amazing to be surprised by joy at such a level. The people in Jerusalem were surprised by joy. They didn't understand it. But they knew if they did not cry out, the rocks would cry out. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts. He desires to enter. And I was praying this, and I was hoping nobody was watching me because I probably looked like a crazy person. <laughs> I remember praying this over my city. Open up. Praying it over the nation. America, you once knew the Lord. What has happened? Who cut in on you? Open up, you gates. Open up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. It was a moment in which the Holy Spirit is like knocking on my door and wanting to come in. And I and he's saying to me, lift up, you gates. Lift up, you ancient doors. The King of glory wants an audience. This psalm is interconnected in, in Passover and in Palm Sunday. I was reading a paper published by the Jewish Studies Department of Rutgers University, and several of the psalms, several of the psalms would be sang during the Passover over in the temple in Jerusalem. Near as we can understand, Jesus entered Jerusalem during Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, during the first day of Passover. The psalm that was being sang by the Levites and the priests as Jesus Christ enters Jerusalem is Psalm 24. The king of glory was at the door, and so many missed it. Even those who seemed like they weren't missing it, those who were singing Hosanna at the beginning of the week, at the end of the week, would say crucify him. Psalm 24. I just want to talk about that for instance. So Psalm 24, the psalm that was sang when Jesus Christ enters Jerusalem, it is a declarative psalm. It is not asking questions or formulating deep dialogues. It is a declaration of the wonders of God. We might call this adoration. If it wasn't written down, we might say this looks like spontaneous praise. It is also messianic. As a psalm that was saying in the temple during Passover, it was a hope of a promised Messiah, of a king of glory, that would once again enter into Jerusalem. The hope of a deliverer, not of the oh, just of the oppression of an invading nation, but the oppression of our very sinful nature. This is also a gospel song. The good news of Jesus Christ can be expressed in many different ways, but all must include at least three elements. Who is God? Who is man? And where is salvation found? Well, who is God? The psalm says, The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Who is man? David says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? David says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, 
who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. King David is the one who sings this song. He is the one who wrote this song. And he is the one who proved by his lifestyle actions that he does not qualify to enter, according to his own rubric. Because there will be a time in which he will see a lady bathing on her roof. roof. His soul will not be clean any longer. His heart will not be clean. He will swear deceitfully to get his to, to get her husband, Uriah the Hittite, killed. His hands were not clean. They were drenched in the blood of his enemies and the blood of Uriah himself. His heart was polluted with lust for a woman he was watching bathing. He had his men lie for him. He has proven that he has proven that he is not one to enter. But where is salvation found? How can he how can salvation be found? Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. This contains yet another name of God as well. I thought about naming my sermon yet another name of God. I said I wasn't done. I don't think I'll ever be done. The names of God are littered throughout the scriptures. This one is Yahweh Shabbat. In, so, in a lot of our translations, it says Lord of hosts. Some translations say Lord Almighty. In this psalm, we have another name of God. In some translations, once again, it's Lord Almighty. In others, it's Lord of hosts. What is meant by host in our English translations is every living thing. You have the heavenly host, those other angels. When it's just hosts in general, that is all living things. He is over all and above all. He is mighty in every aspect. Anything that looks to limit that limits him. He has all authority in heaven and earth. Bar none. The crowd in Jerusalem that day, they were clueless. They did not realize who this king of glory was, but they were overcome with this joy. The Pharisees heard them and they pleaded with Christ to make his disciples be quiet. He told them that the very, the very rocks would cry out if they do not. Pastor Tom Bernard says it like this, The crowd was clueless. They never got it right. They shouted praises. He wept. They looked for a warrior king riding on a white stallion. They got a carpenter riding a donkey. They wanted hype. They got a healer. They wanted a prophet. They got one who fulfills prophecies. They wanted a scepter. They got a savior. They got nothing they asked for, but everything they needed. Only they never got it. They were clueless. Jesus was the only one there who really knew what was happening on that first Palm Sunday. So as we examine Palm Sunday from the psalm that was, that was read, that was saying when Jesus Christ entered Jerusalem, I, it speaks of doors. So I want to talk about three doors associated with this psalm. The door of the old temple, the door of the new temple, and the door to your temple. Get into this. My first point here is the door of the old temple. And it's probably a poorly, poorly uh, written uh, title for here because I'm referring to the tent of meeting, which as far as I knew, did not have a door. The psalm when it talks about the door is probably referring to the doors of Jerusalem. These doors and gates the psalm refers to is that of Jerusalem. But it was, but it was when the ark was brought into the tent that David rejoiced. As far as we can tell, this psalm was birthed out of thanksgiving and praise from this event in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 15. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. 
And it was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him, because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the, brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of the horn. So the ark of the Lord, the ark of God that it's referring here to, is the, is the box that held within it Aaron's budded staff, the pieces of the Ten Commandments, and a jar of manna. It represented the presence of God on earth. On, on the top faced two gold cherubims facing one another, which is what we would call, which is what they called the mercy seat. It was not a piece of furniture, it was not a curiosity, and anyone who treated it as such faced dire consequences. King Saul thought he could, he thought he could play God for a chump by having the Ark of God in with his army. He knew he'd lost favor with God, so he thought maybe if I bring up the Ark, God would be forced to give us victory. Well, God, is not, God, is, God will not be fooled. God will not be mocked. person reaps what they sow. And that is what King Saul did. And they had lost the ark. The presence of God was away from Israel for many years. It was taken by the Philistines. The Philistines, in mockery, set up the ark next to the statue of their god, Dagon. This is a wild story. I... I, I encourage you to read it for yourself. They set it up next to their God, and every night their God statue would be busted. Tumors started developing all across the land, and they thought maybe if we made a golden tumor that will satisfy the God of the Israels. Finally, they just decided it was more trouble than what it was worth, and David finally gets the ark back, and he has taken it back, but he doesn't do it the way that God had told them to transport the ark. They put it on a new cart, and when the ark started swaying, one of David's men go to, um, went to steady it, and God struck him dead because God does not need human hands to attend him. He said the way he wished for it to be transported, in, and you ignore it, you ignore it to your peril. David finally wises up, takes the ark back properly, and he is filled to joy to such capacity that this honorable man, just a landowner in this time, would not do what he does let alone the king of Israel. He strips down to his underwear. That's what that someone went into ephod. And it is funny. Um, and he starts dancing and shouting, carrying on. Can you imagine being so filled with God's joy I and mean, you just don't care what anybody thinks? His, his own wife despises him in her art. In the movie Footloose, the greatest cinematic hero of all time, Kevin Bacon, <laughs> explains to a stuck-up city council, unfortunately butchers, butchers God's word, but he talks about, he tells them that it's their time to dance. King David, when the ark, the representation of the presence of God, is put back in its rightful place, realizes it's his time to dance. So filled with joy, he casts all of his cares off, and what was undignified he does he delights and dances and shouts. He was probably singing this very psalm. That's why it sounds like spontaneous worship. When was the last time you were so filled with joy of the Lord it made you dance or weep or sing a new song? 
from your spirit? What if every Sunday when Josh starts playing, the people of God at Faith Church knew they were in the very holy of holies, the very presence of God? It would change everything. There's a cost to opening up the doors for David. David paid, <clears throat> paid in three ways to bring the ark of God back to its proper place. To let the king of glory come in. One was humility. He wanted to worship God in his own way. He wanted to bring back the ark in his own way. In opposition to God's direction. They may, that may not seem bad. It's the person who says, I don't need to come to church to be a Christian. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to do any of these things in order to have a connection with God. You know, if you're, if you're employed, those of you who um, have a job, you have a boss... If you get to tell him what to do and he can't tell you what to do, who really is the boss? Tony Danza, I think, or Alyssa Milano, I don't remember. Um, right? You're the boss, they're not the boss. The person who gets to tell you what to do, they're the boss. We say, Jesus, you're king. But if we think, okay, I get to tell you how I'm going to worship you, you just get to sit there and you're going to enjoy it. Aaron's sons thought that they presented false fire before God and he struck them down. In the gospel story, we have Peter, who tells Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Peter also told Jesus, he took him aside and told him, this will never happen to you, meaning the crucifixion. Paul persecuted the church of God, thinking he was doing a favor to God. Humility takes us down from where we're at, making ourselves king, and puts Christ where he belongs as king. The king of glory come in. Second price is reverence. David treated the ark like a piece of furniture and it cost a man his life. We are indeed a friend of God, but remember you are friends with the king. One of the most cringy things I thought from the last like decade or so was a shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Sorry for those of you who may have wore that. It's so cringy. It shows no reverence. Yes, we have fellowship, we have deep connection with God, but it's not in such a casual thing, like we're treating him like a toy. Like we're treating him like some, like one of our buddies. He is my friend, but I am a friend of the king. David thought, it doesn't matter what God's law says, I'll, I'll take a new cart. Because God will be really impressed with the new cart. God is not impressed with the new cart. He said the way he wanted it to be transported. The third price David paid was his dignity. David was so overcome with joy, love, and joy, he danced in a linen ephod. It's not dignified. Opening up the doors to really letting the king of glory come in will cost you your dignity. Not in the same way of David, so don't go to work tomorrow wearing nothing but your underwear and dancing, and you're like, that's what Pastor Jason said. No. That's it. But it costs you your dignity, as you see more and more, being an open... Bible-believing Christian is going to cost your dignity more and more. In so many little ways. Not being allowed in the public discourse. I mentioned um, weeks ago about a pastor over in, over in Ireland. And believe me, when this starts happening in Western cultures, it's coming here too. He's just reading from the Bible. No commentary. He was arrested. Arrested. There's a pastor over in Canada 
because he wanted to, because according to his own conscience, according to the conscience of his congregation, they wanted to meet the way they believed that God was urging them to meet, and he just spent a couple weeks in prison for it. To truly open ourselves up, to open the doors up, to let the key and glory come in, will cost you your dignity. The door of the new temple. There would be a temple, there would be a temple that David's son Solomon would build for the Lord. The temple would be destroyed under the Babylonian um, persecution and remade under the, under, the, uh, under the nation of Persia. But for 580-some years before the time of Jesus Christ, the ark was not in Israel. It was, for all intents and purposes, lost. There was no ark in the new temple, no presence of God. What we read in the Gospels today, the true ark. What the ark pointed to, the very presence of God, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, had come back to Jerusalem. Hosanna in the highest indeed. We're all familiar with the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. It's not the only time Jesus weeps. He weeps after the triumphal entry as well. He wept right after the triumphal entry, verses 41 42. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the thing that makes for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The doors to the new temple and to Jerusalem were open once again, but the doors to souls and hearts had remained closed. This is the thing we should weep over for our country, for our families. And when he drew near to the city, he wept over it, saying, Would you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace? This last year, we saw America on fire. We don't talk about it much, do we? But that's what was happening. Riots, wars, rumors of wars, all these things. The people of God should weep over this nation. Would you... Even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Jesus is still the answer for the world today. You know, that phrase has come under attack from Bible-believing pastors. Like, well, that's not enough because we've always had racism. He's still the answer for the world today. He's the answer for racism. He's the answer for all of our problem that we face today because he's the answer for our very souls. The King of Glory is at the door. Open up you gates that the King of Glory may come in. There's a cost to opening up the door. I said before, when the psalm was birthed, it was out of David's own heart and there was a cost for him to open up the doors. Opening up the doors once again would cost, well, one, we read in here, a donkey. Some guy was told that he would have to let his uh, coat be borrowed for a while. But two, for real, expectations. The reason why the doors of their hearts were closed, they had an expectation of a king, of a conqueror, but not one who would conquer their own sin. Opening up the door often takes us putting to death our expectations. They wanted a king on a white horse, but they got a donkey. Third thing, stepping out of the routine. This should have been a typical Passover, but instead the King of Glory was at the door. The Lord Almighty was at the gate. They laid down their coats, and those who didn't laid down palm branches. 
Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't stay in Jerusalem during his ministry in Jerusalem. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, every night, he'd do ministry in Jerusalem, then he'd go over to Bethany to stay with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In Mark's account of the triumphal entry, he mentions how Jesus doesn't stay in Jerusalem. He enters the temple... And you remember, when David, he was so excited because the ark had entered, the, had entered its proper place, right? The tent of meeting. But this time, the ark doesn't stay. He doesn't stay. The doors were open, but the ark wasn't welcomed. Joy and happiness is one thing. Making a home for the Lord is something else. My third point is your temple. I said this during the opening prayer. Isaiah 66, 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. And earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? There's a song that used to be sang a long time ago. It was this verse. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where will my resting place be? The congregation say together. Here, O Lord, have I prepared for you a home. 1 Corinthians 6.19 or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Psalm 24 has several commands in it. Lift up your heads. Open up the gates. Your body is God's temple, but the doors are not always open. Routine, apathy, sin, chasing after so many things that will never and could never give us joy, close the doors in Christ's face. Here's the thing. When movies and music move you more than any time you've had with Christ, that's a warning sign. The doors are closed. So hear the command of the Lord today. Lift up your head, O you gates. Open up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. You know, this psalm right here, talk about it being prophetic, talk about talk about how it's much more than in that location. It's when Christ comes into Jerusalem, but there will be another time after his resurrection as he enters into heaven. He ascends to the right hand of God. You can imagine him going to heaven. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. you imagine what it was like for heaven if the Son of God was not there for a while? And the Son has now come. He has now been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He ascends to the right hand of God. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who dares, says these words, who is the King of glory? Some brave soul, David out of his spirit, saying, Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, lift up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. This psalm ends with Selah. We don't exactly know what Selah means other than this. Stop and consider. Stop and consider. Let us stop and consider about the gates to our heart. Revelation 3.20 is a very popular verse when it comes to evangelism, but it was not written to the unbelievers. It was written 
who a church was supposed to be believing, but they were lukewarm. It's the church of Laodicea. We know them. They were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm, so God wished to spit them out of his mouth. And he tells them, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Not unbelievers, believers. That we can close the door. You know why God doesn't break open the door? Because you already called him Lord. He has every right to entry. You are the friend of God. But we can close the door. And he stands at the door and knocks. Invite him in so that, so that, he, can have, so that he can have supper with you and, and fellowship with you. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Knowing the context of that verse really changes it for us. That we can, through our apathy, through going through the routine, not realize the King of glory is standing at the doors. And that this is a command for us. Behold, he still stands at the door and knocks. Worship team, would you come up at this time? Since I seem to be in a mood for C.S. Lewis quotes, how about one more? Last week I quoted from the last battle about Aslan telling the children that they were not as happy as he would have them. After this it says, it says, a wild hope rose within them. What would it be like for a wild hope to rise within you once again? Do you remember when you were first saved and your relationship with the Lord was new? And you had such joy, you had such passion, Maybe some of you are there right now, and that's awesome. What would it be like for you to claim hold of that once again, for a wild hope to rise within you, to know that you are no longer in the shadow lands, you are with Him. He is inside of you, and He is standing at the door, and He knocks. I was so excited to preach this message today, because it reminds me that He's at the he is at my, the heart, my door, door of my heart. No, he's not at the door. I let him in. We've had fellowship this week. I pray you have experienced the same week. I pray that this Easter would not be just another thing that we do, Easter Bunny and all these things, but it would be special to you that it would be yet another day for you to lift up the gates of your heart, to lift up the ancient doors. And let the King of glory come in. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. He is the Lord mighty in battle. In the book of Revelation, there's this point where John the Apostle, he is in the throne room of heaven, and there is a scroll. I'm just going to go ahead and read it from Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
so much of our day-to-day life is trying to tap down the passion in your heart as you read this. I hope as I was reading this, you started feeling something, a wild hope rise up. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you are by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made a kingdom of priests to our God and that shall reign on earth. All hail the power of Jesus' name, may angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Crown him with many crowns. I am unwilling to let this Palm Sunday be routine. I'm unwilling to let it just be another time where we sing songs, but a time where we open up the doors and let the King of glory come in. Worthy are you to take the scroll, for you are slain. We say this so casually, Jesus died. Think about that for a second. The rose of heaven died. Sometimes we take so lightly this because we take lightly our sin. How bad must my sin be that God himself must die for me. He is worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Worship team, would you please lead us?